You, you, you are listening. You are listening. You are listening to the Fly Fishing ninety seven podcast. And um, we used to bring in all kinds of uh, crazy punk bands, but I was, you know, employed with Parks and Rec, and <laughs> <laughs> worlds are colliding. Yeah, and you're going to the you're going to these gigs because you're responsible uh, for it, just to make sure everybody's safe. And and uh, yeah, it was it was kind of fun to watch. But the the the, the best story I have for that whole thing was. Uh, the one gig that we did was a, band, a local band called Roll Cage, and I think there was another uh, band called The Smalls, oh, yeah. and the headliner was uh, a punk band out of California that was up and coming, and they were called Green Day. <laughs> Nobody had ever heard of them, and wow. they came out and did a set. I've seen a lot of live shows, but those guys did a, a set that just peeled the paint off the energy that was in that hall when Green Day played. It was incredible. And yeah, I ended up paying Green Day 300 bucks for their set. What? And I don't know, eight months later, they were multi-millionaires. Welcome to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, capturing the fly fishing life. Featuring in-depth conversation with fly fishers from all walks of life. The Fly Fishing 97 podcast is brought to you by theflycrate.com, an online fly shop, your source for all things fly fishing. DamianAndy.com, featuring custom music by Damian Anderson. Find out more at D-A-M-I-O-N-A-N-D-Y.com. Broken Tippet Fly Company. For blog and fly fishing apparel, check out brokentippet.com. And Wait For It Films. For action-packed fly fishing videos and camera-related content, visit Wait For It Films on YouTube or at thewaitcreativeco.com. Get ready for the 2023 fly fishing season with the Fly Crate. We have hundreds of trout, bass, panfish, and saltwater flies ranging from the classic elk hair caddis to jigged Euro nymphs. Join thousands of other fly anglers who fish with the fly crate. Listeners of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast get 10% off their first order, plus receive free shipping on all U.S. orders over $45. Order today! Go to www.theflycrate.com and use the promo code FLYFISH97 to save 10%. Welcome to this edition of the Fly Fishing 97 podcast. Really happy you're joining us this time around. We're going to do what we love to do more than anything in the world, and that's find people on this planet that love fly fishing, uh, fly tying, and uh, find out why, what brings them to the water. We're going to head out to, uh, well, kind of, Trout Central in our neck of the woods, Kamloops, British Columbia, Canada. We've got Clint Anderson on the line. Now, Clint is doing a lot of fly tying in the Kamloops region. Um, he's with Blasties Bugs. He's also doing some uh, tying for the BC Fly Guys. Uh, uses Dr. Slick Scissors, Renzetti uh, Vices. We'll talk all about that. We'll talk day jobs. He sent me some decals. We'll talk about that, too. Hey, Clint, thanks for coming on the podcast, man. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mark. I, I always like to start at the beginning because um, I, I know you are retired now with, uh, you know, a lot of uh, years with the city of Kamloops, but why don't we start at the beginning for you? W when did fly fishing kind of first show up in your world? Well, when I was a kid, actually, uh, we, moved, we moved to Kamloops as a family when the pulp mill opened. So I don't even know what year that was, maybe 65 or 66. And uh, I do remember as a young kid, my dad would go out with the, with the neighbor and they would just fish on Kamloops Lake, the mouth of uh, Tronkeel Creek, back when it was essentially a creek. And they would come home with their limit of big, huge rainbows. And uh, that always got me kind of fired up. But uh, dad was a really big uh, creek fisherman. So he, we would usually go out on a Saturday or a Sunday, take whichever kids were interested in going and we would head out to one of the creeks and that's where we all learned how to fish and that's where you learned how to tie knots and problem solve because a lot of the time he'd be spending 
uh, more time with my sister because she was younger and, and needed a bit more help. And we wanted the independence, so we would just take off upstream or downstream and, and uh, try and find our own fish and, and uh, catch them without Dad's help. So talk to me about influences. It sounds like Dad was obviously a, a big one, but if you had to name some names, and you're kind of in uh, Trout Central around there, and I know you're involved with BC Fly Guys. I'm sure you've had a lot of people influence you from the Kamloops area and beyond, but talk to me about who kind of um, lit the stoke and who, who kind of um, maybe mentored you a little bit, either from afar or in person. Uh, well, first it started with... Um... With me as a lifeguard, one of my um, good friends growing up was an avid fisherman, but a terrible swimmer, and he liked to fish in a canoe. And so I kind of like started asking uh, Bob questions about life jackets and if he could swim and and who he fished with, and you know a lot of the stuff I heard I didn't really like because he'd be fishing alone in a canoe. And so we struck up a deal. Uh, where I would teach him how to fish, or I would teach him how to swim, I should say, and he would teach me how to uh, fly fish. And so I was working at the Y at the time, this was before my uh, time with the city, and was able to get him in the pool, and he got to the, basically the point where he could swim 25 meters on his front and 25 meters on his back, which is a good enough skill to get you out of a pickle if you ever <laughs> well especially if you when you said he can't swim and he's fishing out of a canoe i'm like okay that's two strikes yeah right and and so after i got bob swimming we went to mcglashan lake i'll never forget it uh loaded up the canoe uh went and anchored and he got 17 fish before i even had a bite <laughs> so, so he wasn't the greatest did that make you kind of go, okay, what, what's he doing? Yeah, he didn't really share a lot of information like I shared uh, with him about how to swim. So it was, it was a little one-sided, but it did light the fire. And my dad had some uh, fly fishing uh, gear at the time, a fly rod and some basic equipment. So uh, once I started catching a few fish on the fly, I was hooked. There was no way I was going back to a spinning rod at all. So hmm. that kind of started the journey. And then once I started with parks and recreation, um, I was a, at the time a recreation program coordinator, which meant we set up recreation programs and special events. And we each had little kind of program areas and, and we would rotate through those as a, um, as a team. And when I got into the adult ed um, stream it was always my desire to to learn how to fly tie and so um i was in the adult ed section kind of pounded the pavement a little bit and uh approached mo bradley to start teaching oh wow uh, mo started teaching pretty much once or twice a week um so mo was a big early influence um, we also were forced to go on TV onto Shaw Cable. We had a program, uh, and we would go on there and talk about recreation programs. It was pretty, it was pretty dull, but if you brought on a, a special guest, uh, it worked great. So I got Mo to come on to promote his fly tying and he started tying flies and there was actually really good response from the community about that and, the and, the Shaw coordinator at the time Fred Semeniak he approached Mo about doing his own show and and uh, so um, Mo started his own show and he kind of took off um, running with with that so Mo really had a big passion for that like to promote Kamloops and mm -hmm. and so that's how Mo kind of got his start on uh, Shaw Cable 10 in Kamloops huh that's a real um, iconic name. Like, I mean, we, we always talk about Brian Chan, Phil Rollies of the world, but uh, Mo Bradley is a name that it's in, it's engraved in my mind. And uh, was that on the shop that was kind of right on the river, right downtown, before you kind of went over the North Shore? 
No, that was Graham shop. That was oh. uh, fine, fine flies for fishermen. And I did some uh, programming with, with Graham. We did some uh, fly tying lessons in his shop, which was, was great. Okay. Um, at the time, that's when Yosh, Yosh's uh, was kind of going out of business or were out of business. So it was fine flies for fishermen. Um, so Graham uh, did some programming for Parks and Rec. And another fellow that was an awesome fly fisherman who's passed away now, his name was Ken Wilson. And, and uh, he taught for us as well. Hmm. You know, so, so, so Clint, that's kind of why I like doing this show too, because there's so many people think how many people influenced you and a lot of them aren't with us anymore. So I, yeah. I think it's really important that we capture people's stories and it's like, um, man, I wish I would have got, it was Ken, you said, right? I, I know that yeah. name too. And I just, um, there's, because there's a wealth of information out there and, and if it's like you tap it when you're in it and you're learning from these people, but if, if there's no recording of it, it's, you know, it could help so many people. And that was the cool thing about, uh, that recreation program coordinator job is you had to identify community trends, but if you were passionate about something and you knew that you could offer programs that would, that would make money for the city and, and promote awareness of something, you could take the ball and run with it. So hmm. I did that. Some of the other cool stuff that I did with parks and rec that was related to fishing was, uh, I think we did it for two or three years in a row. We used to have a, an outdoor pool in Riverside park called Centennial pool. Yeah. And, uh, in the fall when the pool closed, um, it would just sit there and I thought that would be kind of cool to throw some, some trout in there and, and teach, um, families about our fishery and what it's like to catch fish and release them. So, um, I work with Ted Brown from, uh, Ted's trout farm up in Little Fort, yeah. really interesting guy. If you're ever looking for, uh, someone to chat with, he provided the fish and Brian Chan was instrumental in kind of getting the permit uh, process um, in place because the first year that we did it, uh, people would catch the fish and, and then basically they would, we had large buckets and they would uh, put the fish in the bucket and release it into the Thompson river. Hmm. We, we did that the first year. And then there was a couple of biologists that I think kind of got excited about that. Uh, so the next year, those fish got released into uh, an urban fishery and, uh, the hills above West side called deep Lake. Okay. So we got to do that event. I did a ladies fly fishing school for a few years. Uh, Kathy Ruddock, yep. uh, came and chatted, talked, uh, taught. Um, so you're telling me you had a big swimming pool in Kamloops full of trout. Yep. yep. That's amazing. What, what approximately what year would this have been? Oh man, that would have been you're talking eighties. 89 90 yeah somewhere around there that is that is i can't imagine what was that like just kind of messing around casting for trout in, in a swimming pool basically well i was pretty passionate about fishing at the time and you see a thousand fish swimming in a big huge circle around in the deep end it, it definitely <laughs> get your blood going i i like my odds in that scenario somehow <laughs> yeah. that's you'd amazing. be surprised how a few people caught fish though it was it was mm. a little surprising why do you think that is i think the fish were probably a little bit stressed yeah. um yeah. there really was no cover um but it was an opportunity for people to well for families to bring their kids for the kids to actually see fish and for the, the fish to actually um show some interest in what they were presenting to them all of that stuff sure Think how many kids you probably influenced back in the day there. You know, the, yeah, maybe. Right? Uh, gar yeah. Guaranteed. That's amazing. Huh. And the ladies' school was fun. Kathy was just a gem to work with. Just an amazing woman. Yeah. See, we've had her on the show. She's awesome. And, and just a, a wealth of information. And, and there's, there's a gal that's owned fly shops for years and guided and uh, TV shows. And, and, hey, she just won a uh, uh, silver, silver medal, medal you know, with with Team Canada at the World Fly Fishing Championships. Did you get, happen to get out, Clint, to any of that? Actually, I was really involved with the first one in 93. Yeah, I was on. I, I was there. I was there. 
I was on the bid committee. Yep. So we put the bid package together and, and that uh, the bid package actually went into the uh, the FIPSMU Hall of Fame. They were so impressed with the bid that we presented. We blew all the other Canadian cities out of the water. Yeah. And then after we got the rights to host it, I was on the host committee. So I was involved with that event probably for three years before it even came to Kamloops. I totally remember that like it was yesterday. The first time, I think that was the first time I actually saw Brian Chan speak. And I just remember being, I think it was at the time, I don't know if it's still called this, but it was the Riverside Coliseum. At the time, yeah. Yeah. And, and I was, I'm like, okay, I love fly fishing, but man, there's a lot of people here from all over the planet. You, you kind of really open your eyes to say, okay, it's not just us in this. No, not at all. And what those folks from all those different countries, 13 different countries, what they had to say about our fishery and compared to theirs just made me really feel fortunate that we, about what we actually had access to. Mm-hmm. And, They'll carry that forward with me to this day. I, th- I sometimes think that people from all over North America realize what you guys have in the Kamloops area, but, you know, living there, you're just used to it, and it's kind of, you know, really a Stillwater Mecca, right? Yeah, Stillwater Capital, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it still is. And the great thing about the World Fly Fishing Championships were some of the relationships uh, that I was able to foster. I became really good friends with a fellow that was on the New Zealand team, uh, he was a transplanted Irishman, and his name was Hugh McDowell. And Hugh, hmm. I corresponded with him leading up to the World Fly Fishing Championships. And then he came back five or six times afterwards uh, and stayed with me and my wife. And um, he was just an incredible person. He's no longer with us. But the stories that fellow could tell, and he fished all over the world. and. Hmm. You know, he could tell jokes and limericks for an hour straight <laughs> and stories and just an incredible guy. I feel like your influence list is pretty long. Oh, yeah. That's just that's just the... Uh, we're scratching the surface here. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know how we didn't get you on here sooner, but um, so I want to take some time to get to know you, Clint, and your day-to-day in the uh, Kamloops region. Are you ready for a few questions that uh, some of them have to do with fishing, but not all? Sure. What do you listen to on the way to the water? So if you're headed to your favorite still or moving water, sounds like you also like fishing creeks and, and rivers. What's playing in the truck en route? Oh, man, I have such a diverse taste. Music's been in my blood since I was a little kid. My dad used to be in so many different bands when we were growing up. He was a really accomplished musician, but especially a guitar. So as we got older, we ended up volunteering, being volunteered to be roadies, moving equipment to and from the venues. And uh, so I was kind of exposed to a lot of the music that my dad first listened to. Um, A lot of it was country music that I just can't stand. I really have no patience for country music at all but Creedence Clearwater Revival and Booker T and the MGs and some of that stuff was was uh, hmm. pretty cool to listen to in your seven or eight um, but when I'm on when I head into the lake I'm, I'm usually listening to try to listen to new stuff I've um, I really right now late, lately listening to lots of uh California fusion music, so okay. Long Beach, All Stars, Sublime, yep. Dirty Heads, um, kind of surfer stuff. Yeah, but it's it's hip hop, mm-hmm. um, yep. kind of punk hip hop fusion. It's really cool. Hmm. Um, I don't but, hear I don't hear that from a lot of guys that maybe are uh, a little older. <laughs> just just yeah, throwing well, that out there. Yeah, I, I just. I can't listen to classic rock. I've heard that music so I've heard each song so many times. It, it's, mm. it's a bit tiresome. I get that. So I really like to, I really like to chase after new music. Uh, my brother's a real audiophile. So mm. he always gives me tips on who to listen to or check out uh, dinosaur pile up is a fun band. Mm. Camp is another uh, band that I've been really into lately, but uh, some of the M and M stuff is just awesome. 
Um, that guy has gone against the current his whole life, and he's just incredible. Hmm. But yeah, and and then there's some good classic stuff. But I just I, I can't listen to plastic music that's overproduced. Uh, the people can't really sing or play instruments, but somehow they're famous. And billions of people love them. I just, I can't listen to music like that. It just makes my ears bleed. You know, that what you just said, okay, so you got to realize, man, I worked in radio for a lot of years, but I will tell you that I can go to the Dream Cafe, which is a local cafe, and you can see a musician that is better than any top 40, any classic rock band you'll ever see. And you're just like, and nobody knows who they are. Right. And it's, yep. it's weird. It, it really is. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, um, saying I don't like country, but have complete total respect for Johnny Cash and what he was able to do and how he influenced so many rock and rollers before he passed away. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, guys that have really worked hard in the trenches and, and finally, uh, um, were successful, like Nathaniel Ratliff and the Night Sweats. That guy really put his time in. Hmm. And he's an incredible musician, and the Night Sweats are a fantastic band. I've seen them live twice. Um, so, yeah, anybody that can really play music and and can write a good lyric, and it's not plastic, and they've got some skill, mm-hmm. I'll at least um, keep an open mind for sure. Yeah, I like it. The art of songwriting is big with me, too. When you hear, I like listening to songwriters sing their own songs and guarantee you it's probably not as good as if, uh, you know, a top 40 or some famous musician did it. But I always feel it's so genuine that it's just authentic and it's like, it's different. Yeah, and and then listening to music, um, depending on what mood you're in, what gear you're in, it could be, it could mm-hmm. be metal, um, it could be you name it, but uh, the lyrics still have to grab you. If it's if it's not really relevant or they're not they don't really have a, a story to tell, then it's hmm. it's yeah. not something I want to listen to on the way to the lake. I like it. Sounds like you're into cutting edge stuff and stuff that's maybe a little outside the box. Yep. Hmm. Let's talk fly patterns. So uh, let's keep it to the still for now because I'm I'm sure that you spent a lot of time on that. What what's a go to pattern for you and i know that's a loaded question and every time i ask it i feel like okay it's is a cat a season as it may flies but like what are you putting on the end of your tippet more often than not well it's mostly chronomids uh because that's what we see april may and at least the first half of june and then again in september and october parts of october yeah so with chronomids uh man there's just so many different directions you can go with that but um i usually have some base patterns like the zucchini um anti-static patterns things like that but um really kind of have been playing around a little bit about um patterns that are gassy versus not gassy and you you catch a fish the first thing you do is a uh, a throat sample and you want to see if those bugs are are dark or gassy. Right. Um, and if they're gassy, a lot of people will either go anti-static or, or go right to a, a chrome. And I, I just found the last couple of years that that uh, when when the bugs are starting to stage, it's they can be pretty selective about what sort of gassiness they're looking for. So mm. lots of blue dun patterns. Um, really had good success with a blue dun pattern of my own called Blasty's Blue Dunn or BBDs. Yeah, I saw I saw that on your site. That's a good-looking pattern. And, yeah, just kind of playing around with that, um, seeing the difference with a group of guys between that pattern and something that's tied on a darker hook because my my a lot of my Blue Dunn patterns are tied on Alec Jackson crystal covert hooks, so those are the silver ones. Yeah, I tie on those too. And uh, blue done on those versus a Daiichi hook, it just gives it a different little tint. I got a nice uh, gap to those things. Yep, they're not as strong as Daiichi's, but they're nope. they're close. Yep. Uh, but every year's a little bit different, and and uh, one of the lakes that I use as a barometer, I won't mention because it gets so much love already, and it's it's a bit uh, 
stressful to fish at the best of times when the coronamids are cracking because there could be 30 boats out there or more. But it's just hearing um, reports on the lake and uh, and then just seeing for yourself, especially if you're starting to catch some fish consistently, mm-hmm. you've, you've got, uh, I like to fish by myself, so two rods and I've got a control group on one rod that I know is going to catch fish and then it's just like, okay, why did they go for that pattern? Let's try this. Mm-hmm. And I, I think a big thing for me last year, everybody was on blue duns and chromies at this lake and it was just like, no, the the fish that I pumped uh, were dark. So I had some uh, black chronomids with a black nickel bead and amber rib. And it just slayed every time I went there. It was everybody was doing reasonably well, but but they weren't using uh, dark stuff. They were using gassy stuff. And, and uh, the, that pattern that year just showed me that it really helps to pay attention to those um those samples that you take yeah. and uh, kind of trust your instincts. And if it's, if it's not gassy, it means it's darker and, and uh, put on something like that. I have too many choices for chronomids in my box. I need to simplify it. <laughs> it's funny you said that though. I will tell you that the last this year in particular, cause I spent a lot of time in your, in your neighborhood. Um, we were fishing like black beads, black bodies, um, maybe, maybe some static, bag over top but it definitely needed to be dull yep a lot hmm any gills on those uh sometimes gills sometimes not um i really my gills are um tied so sparse now my my tying techniques have really changed in the last couple of years just as i've tied more and mm-hmm. been influenced by um Brandon Dixon and, and Rob Bruno and how they tie their bugs. My gills are pretty sparse anyways. So yeah, but they work. I guarantee it. And yeah. I, I love, I love it too. When I'm talking to somebody, I, I talk to a lot of good tires, but sometimes good tires aren't out there fishing a lot. I find. And, and for me, it's like, sometimes they don't have to be as pretty to work, but those little tiny variations like you said whether they're slightly gassy less gassy um you know the bead color is so critical i you want to hear something funny i think back 20 years how often we're using like snow cones or something with a white bead i went through like two years where i couldn't touch a fish barely on a white bead and it was like it needed to be dark did you experience anything like that I, I just think every year changes uh, a little bit and, and, uh, and it really, yeah, it really depends on the day. Um, yeah, even, even hour to hour, it can switch from them wanting a white bead to no, nope, they want it muted in black, black nickel, or they want a, a brown magic, but, yeah. um, how, yeah, how stained that water is too, I think probably kind of critical sometimes yep i spent a lot of time at edith and and uh edith lake is is um a fun lake to fish sometimes you're always going to have a an interesting human encounter every time you fish edith lake <laughs> but i really noticed that uh, edith lake they they do like those white beads just because the water quality is not the greatest sometimes yeah no, that's any stain lake. That's where the white bead usually comes out for me. When you're talking, you said something earlier that um, kind of caught my attention. You said I prefer to fish on my own. That I don't hear that a lot. Yeah, well, I, even if I'm uh, fishing with someone for the day, we're going in separate trucks because we we have our own boats. Um, all my buddies like to fish with two rods. Yeah, uh, well, not all of them, but a lot of them do. And uh, COVID kind of played into that as well because you couldn't really travel with people. So you're, mm-hmm. you know, you're both driving solo to a lake and then, you know, kind of fishing nearby or mm-hmm. side by side. Um, but, but yeah, I do, I do like to have two rods on the go yeah. just because I'm a little ADHD and I, I really need to figure it out as fast as possible what they're what they're doing if i can and then once i've got it kind of dialed in then i like to play around and and see if i can push the envelope or learn something new (laughs) i get that 
What what's your um kind of motivation when you got two rods out there? So like, are you fishing quite often two totally different patterns? Is it more different sizes, different depths? Like, walk us through like when you first hit your go to lake and you've got your crowny pattern out there. I assume you're on an indie. Um, like, what's your other rod doing? Is it something totally different? Uh, usually it's a different pattern. I usually like to go with an indie. Uh, setup and a naked setup. Uh, if I can catch them on the naked line, I will ditch the indie as fast as I can. They're a pain. Uh, I love I love fishing um, naked. It's way more fun. To, to, it, you, you can just feel the fish, watch the fish hammer it. It's it's so much fun, hmm. um, and really enjoy the dangle too. Just a, a, a deep line hanging over. If you've got an indicator on one. Especially if it's windy, you don't want to have two indicator setups because wind is chaos in my world, at least. <laughs> yeah. So you know, a, a good dangle smash is so much fun too, and it's really fun when you take beginners out. You don't have to worry about casting the line out for them. You can yeah. show them how to set the depth and flip it over, and and then watch their face as yeah. a four pound panask slaps the line. It's pretty fun. <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, where do you get your fix in the fly fishing space when you're not out there? Like, is it at the tying bench? Is it social media? Is it the fly shop? Where do you get your fix when you're not fishing? Uh, pretty much at the, at the tying bench. I tied, I uh, probably a hundred dozen flies last year, hmm. uh, commercially, but, uh, that kind of gets me through the winter. I ice fish a little bit just to get out and get some exercise and, and, uh, and, and, uh, see some of the, the lakes that I fish in the wintertime and how the fish behave, but it goes fish are getting thrown back unless it's a, uh, a nice looking brookie or something like that. But yeah, I really, I really, uh, like to spend the time at the vice, uh, social media. I have a kind of a love hate relationship with it, to be honest, yeah. but, uh, I've seen the benefits of, of how awesome it is um, to shorten learning curves for beginners. But um, mm-hmm. man, oh man, um, if you're not careful about what you post or how you post it on social media, yeah. people know exactly where you are on the lake, what lake it is. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty crazy. I think, have to I think the power of it. I think people that are dialed in too. So if it's a lake that you know intimately. I don't even need to see background. I can tell sometimes by the water. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, I know where that is. Or, or even the way the fish look. Or you know, especially it's different when you're talking Panas and and Frasers. But um, some of these stocky lakes that uh, maybe you're on ranches, you're like, oh yeah, I know where that is. Right? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's it's uh, it's a funny game, isn't it? It's it's a double edged sword for sure. You want to get it out there, but at the same time, it's like, how much do you want to put out there? Yeah, and when I'm when I'm fishing, um, I try to take a few half decent pictures. Uh, my fish handling skills can definitely use some work, but uh, I just kind of want to get a quick throat sample, maybe a quick picture, mm-hmm. quick video. Um, but it's pretty rudimentary when you compare it to Brent Gill or or some of those other folks that are pretty skilled with the camera, but, um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah. And, and oftentimes I won't take a picture at all. I just not in the mood. I just want to go and, yeah. and cut my brain off and fish and watch the world float by and, and, uh, not worry about yeah. a picture for social media. Yeah. Sounds good. Let's talk sports. Are you a sports guy? Um, you gotta be a Blazers fan at least I'm sure. Uh, but, um, throw, you know, if you're cheering for your team, who is that? Well, I'm a long-suffering Canucks fan. <laughs> yeah. uh, definitely Camels Blazers. Uh, my brother, my youngest brother, was really active in uh, minor hockey uh, at the rep level, and so uh, he played in the Western Hockey League uh, for the Camels Junior Oilers, and and then was traded to the Victoria Cougars, but. He played with uh, Mark Recchi and Greg Hoggard. Mm. So I, I watched a lot of hockey. Yeah. I was, yeah, I like to watch the Canucks. World Juniors is a must. Um, I like a good 
hockey game, if I'm watching a game and there's two teams I don't really care for, the game can still be entertaining. Um, I'm excited about the women's um, professional hockey league and how that'll take off because that's always fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Those rivalry series games are awesome to watch. And then a little bit of CFL, the BC Lions, they have their training camp here every year in Kamloops. Right. Uh, was able to go to some exhibition games and uh, got to see the BC, Lion, BC Lions win the Grey Cup, hmm. which was cool the last time they won it. Sorry, which, they, when was that? In, that was in Vancouver? Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I actually bought tickets through the Grey Cup when they were one in five or something like that. And I just said it'd be fun to go to a Grey Cup game. The BC Lions might not make it, but if they do, it's a bonus. And hmm. they did. They went on a big tear and and won it all, which was yeah. super fun to watch. Cool. Love it. And then the NFL, uh, I think it's got the best athletes on the planet. The, um, my team in the NFL is the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. Ah. I've been cheering for them since 1977. And uh, and then I usually like to, to watch some up-and-coming teams. So I'm really keeping an eye on the Detroit Lions. They're really fun to watch. Awesome coach. Hmm. And uh, they're starting to do some real damage in the NFC. Yep, they are. I can't – I love your your, uh, your D-line, though, in Pittsburgh, man. Like that – there's not many players in the league that can change a game like Watts can. Like – is it CJ, right? I always say TJ. TJ, yeah. Well, TJ, sorry. CJ, was that his brother? That was JJ. Is JJ. His brother. There's lots of J's. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's one other brother. I don't know. I don't know his name, but I think he might even play for the Steelers. Wow. But he's kind of a, a special teams player. Yeah, I watched the game. I don't know if it was two weeks ago, and he just dominated. It was wild. Yeah. I think it was against Baltimore. 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 Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, always fun. I, it's it's a part of the game that is. Uh, I mean, there's there's only a few that can do it. Maybe Bosa and in uh, San Fran, and uh, you know there there's a few. But when when <laughs> when he gets going, it's it's crazy. Just like his brother was, you know, back yep. in the day too. In uh, where the hell did he play? Was it Arizona? No, he played in oh, uh, shit. Texas, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. He was in uh, Houston. Houston. Yeah, Max Crosby's fun to watch on the Raiders too. He's oh he's man, a, he had a like you're talking about Broncos fans. So I got I got nothing to say about nothing, but he he looked amazing. Yeah, he was a machine. What who I can't remember who they played a couple weeks ago, but it was it was wild. Yeah, he's he's always in the thick of things. It doesn't matter if they're winning or losing. He's he's a, a lot of fun to uh, yeah. watch, and he's got a really cool life story that I like. He's he's. Uh, battled through some real tough stuff and and uh, he's on top of his game now yeah yeah it's uh it's it's really cool when you see motivated athletes like that and and you wonder where they get that next level you know hmm. yeah and just the just the skill that it takes to get into that caliber of play there's the competition we get into the NFL there are so many incredible athletes that come out of the US college system yeah and uh to be able to make uh, an NFL team, you have to be a pretty incredible athlete. Mm-hmm. You know what amazes me is how many people sometimes get overlooked and it's like a fifth or a sixth or a seventh or an eighth round pick that turns into an amazing player because they got, they got a chip. They got something to prove. Well, I'm hoping that's going to be Nathan Rourke. Mm. Uh, the yeah. XBC Lion player that uh, just... Uh, Carolina, wasn't he? Was he uh, well, Panther? He's, 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 Lion. he's, he's now with the, the Jaguars. Oh, the Jags. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Trevor Lawrence went down. So, um, so he's playing. He'll be a backup. But man, that kid oh. was uh, pretty gifted when he played for BC. Yeah. It'd be really cool to see him do well. He did well in the preseason. He, he, he had one game. He just lit it up. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Wild. Um, why do you do this? Like, I know it's a big question, Clint, but. Why do you think you spend all this time on the water at the vice? Like, what what does fly fishing do for you? Oh man, it's it's uh, keeps me sane for starters. Um, it's it's uh, pretty cool to be out there and and be part of nature and and uh, experience it all. Um, 
and you can you can do it in busy crowded places uh, and still see some cool things but you can do it in remote places and and yeah i i just do it because i've been at it for so long and it, some of these places that you've been going to for 20 or 30 years you you get to see how the what the impact of the climate's been like mm-hmm. and forest fires and logging and all of that stuff and it's it's uh it's pretty interesting to see the impact that even something as simple as um maybe the road gets fixed up for four or five hundred meters it just <laughs> all of a sudden that pulls in another 40 percent more traffic whereas before it used to you were getting your truck dirty and you were putting it in four-wheel drive and you're having the place to yourself yeah so seeing those impacts is kind of sobering but uh just getting out there and and being part of it is is uh pretty cool for Mm. me it's uh yeah there's only so much time you can spend doing yard work or housework or or whatever you gotta you gotta have a passion at least i do anyways and um i'm blessed to have a wife that lets me uh enjoy it to the fullest and Hmm. so i do how how long ago did you retire from the city of camelops has it been a few years now uh november 2018 so yeah it's coming up on four so I always like talking jobs on this. Like, what's the best gig you ever had? Was it the city or was it something else? No, I it was definitely with the city, but there was all kinds of cool things that I was involved with, not just from the fishing side of things. I was I was involved with the first skateboard group that uh, coalesced and organized themselves and lobbied to get a skateboard park built in Kamloops. Hmm. So I got to work with a bunch of social outcasts people that adults that looked at these kids and pretty much wrote them off and it was uh pretty rewarding to work with with them um to be able to work on goal setting and um fundraising and and uh talking to the media and uh yeah there was there was one situation um where there was, I think there was a death in Kamloops. Somebody was, somebody was riding a skateboard downhill, and but anyways, it, it kind of brought a lot of negative um, media attention into the whole process. And there was an um, editorial that was written that pretty much generalized that all skateboarders are punks, and what they they're doing is illegal, and they're disrespectful, and and um the the main uh group that i was working with um the one the one um person he actually wanted me to make an appointment with the editor of the counts daily news uh and he wanted to basically go in and and uh, confront him about what he wrote rather than doing it by pen he wanted to do it face to face and the conversation that I ended up having with the editor was pretty incredible, pretty powerful, um, because he uh, was a straight edge kid, didn't do drugs, didn't do alcohol. Uh, skateboarding was his whole life. He spent hours on a skateboard every day. All of his friends were the same. They were like minded. And he yeah, set the guy straight. And it was it was pretty cool to watch. And um, and then as they started to fundraise, oh man, it just, it was a pretty powerful thing to uh, be a part of, but uh, kind of stressful too, because the, the main way they wanted to fundraise was having um, gigs in these, basically these worn out halls in Kamloops. So they would pull together all these punk bands. We worked with a local promoter, Todd Armitage, who's no longer with us. And um, we used to bring in all kinds of uh, crazy punk bands, but I was, you know, employed with Parks and Rec, and <laughs> <laughs> worlds are colliding. Yeah, and you're going to the you're going to these gigs because you're responsible uh, for it, just to make sure everybody's safe. And and uh, yeah, it was it was kind of fun to watch. But the the the, the best story I have about that whole thing was. Uh, 
the one gig that we did was a band, local band called Roll Cage, and I think there was another uh, band called The Smalls, oh, yeah. and the headliner was uh, a punk band out of California that was up and coming, and they were called Green Day. <laughs> Nobody had ever heard of them, and wow. they came out and did a set. I've seen a lot of live shows, but those guys did a, a set that just peeled the paint off the energy that was in that hall when Green Day played. It was incredible. And yeah, I ended up paying Green Day 300 bucks for their set. What? And I don't know, eight months later, they were multimillionaires. That's amazing. It's all timing, right? Yeah, I I still have the poster. (laughs) That's, that's, That's a great story, man. Yeah. I love it. So that was that was a fun one, and then uh, when I was when I was involved with um, kind of more upstream stuff with Parks and Rec, I was I was really involved in uh, fitness programming, but I was able to uh, work with Interior Health on a big uh, partnership that still uh, has formed today called the Strategic Health Alliance. So essentially working with Interior Health on community health programming, um, taking place in recreation facilities. Um, they were, at the time when I was working on this partnership, they, they had a, a program for people that had experienced heart attacks or significant cardiovascular disease called the Vascular Improvement Program. Mm-hmm. And they were hosting that in a mall in Kamloops. And these people, it was prescribed by their doctor that they attend. And, and so we were able to convince Interior Health that it would be a way more healthy uh, setting if it, could, if it could happen in a recreation facility, like the tournament capital facility that was brand new at the time. So just being able to bring that um, program and the staff um, and train our own city staff to work alongside Interior Health staff to uh, to uh, put that program on this was pretty cool mm. kind of a neat thing to be a part of um well, is there anything you've done in your career that you didn't really love that like and you may have to go back a long time for this but was there was there a job you had that you really wouldn't want to do again oh yeah um cleaning public washrooms when I was <laughs> that, that'll do it <laughs> Early on in my career, just uh, I was a lifeguard, uh, and then we had to also look after a lot of the outbuildings and in, in some of the parks. And the lifeguarding aspect of it was was fun, pretty stressful at times because there was some pretty crazy stuff that happened, um, especially on the river. Hmm. But uh, yeah, cleaning up after people is not fun. No, I can see that. <laughs> hmm. And it's a thousand times worse now, but some rabbit hole we haven't even jumped down. I know you got a passion for wine, and and that that is my day job. Um, you've got your W set too. What yep. what like is that just a, a kind of a side passion of yours? Were you in the restaurant business? Where did that passion for wine come from? No, I just started uh, getting more of an interest in in wines my wife and i wanted to just kind of learn a little bit more about wine and why we like certain wine and mm-hmm. and you know when you first start drinking wine your tastes definitely evolve so you know back in the day we used to think that jackson triggs was the best wine going and you know it's affordable you're paying 12 dollars for a bottle and <laughs> And eventually we started to build a little bit of a cellar when we were both gainfully employed. Um, and I started with a, a goal to have a cellar of 50 bottles. And then once you hit 50 bottles, it's like, okay, I want to get it to a hundred. And then I set my goal at 200. And, and as I was cellaring this wine, I thought ah, it'd be kind of cool to take a course or two and, and learn about uh, wine, how to read labels, properly especially bottles from europe spain and chile and portugal so i took the wset one course with a couple of friends and then the wset two course came up and uh, went into that with it with a friend who was very passionate uh, about wine 
Um, we took that, had lots of fun. Um, and then she really wanted to, to get into the wine industry, whereas I just wanted to kind of stop at WSET 1 or 2, um, just because all I wanted to do was know what I had in my cellar and, and know what to look for when I was adding to it. So, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was kind of the journey to get my cellar to 200 bottles. And, and so we got it there, and then COVID hit, and the crazy lockdown period of COVID when told us to go home and stay home, it was just like, hmm, well, we have this cellar for a reason. So let's open, let's open some wine and enjoy it. And <laughs> so the cellar took a little bit of a beating during COVID. Oh yeah. I feel that. What's your, like, what's your every, everyday kind of go-to wine? Let's say you got a glass of red on the go and you're at the Tyne bench. What are you drinking? Uh, probably something from Australia or California. Okay. Any so, go-to varieties or varietals, sorry? Uh, Cab Sauvs blends. Um, I like reds. I like whites. I like rosés. Um, but the real, the, the real value, uh, Spain, Chile, um, that's where the real value is. Um, I find that a lot of BC reds are overpriced and uh, overhyped. And BC whites are phenomenal, world-class, in fact. Um, so there's some amazing BC whites. But if I'm, if I'm having a glass of wine at the time bench, it's probably going to be from California or Australia. Hmm. Have you been to many wineries? In, I mean, there's a few wineries in the Kamloops area now. Have you been to uh, any of them? Or? Yeah, we actually were at Harper's Trail the day that it closed down, which was sad to see. I hmm. uh, went to Harper's Trail, been to Provado. Um, we've done some wine tours through our favorite areas, the Similkameen Valley. Uh, it's really um, underrated. And compared to, you know, your 20 kilometers away from the golden mile and you're four four people thick at the at the tasting bar you go into the similkameen valley and you oftentimes you're the only person in there and their wines are spectacular yeah they're doing some good things for sure it's uh... Soleil and orofino and yep. um oh man uh vanessa seven stones we, we gotta get you down to hester creek man <laughs> yeah Used to was at Hester Creek a long time ago. I'm sure it's it's changed for sure. But uh, yeah, and then we we did uh, Tracy and I went down to the Willamette Valley. Nice. Oh, I spent some time. Best Pinot Noirs and Chardonnays. That was a fun trip. Yeah, Eugene's a cool city. Yeah. Did you? And uh, then we did went you... to Walla Walla. Oh yeah. Because that's kind of the gateway to all the Columbia Valley wines and. And uh, we we actually went down to the gorge for a concert to see Nathaniel Ratliff in the Night Sweats and King of Kings of Leon, and then we went to Walla Walla for a couple of days and and uh, checked out some of the wineries down there. Hmm. But they're doing they're doing it smart down in a lot of the places in the states. They they actually have uh, tasting bars where you don't have to go from vineyard to vineyard. You can just go to these tasting bars and you can try wines from the whole region yeah yeah no, that's, and, uh, uh, then you don't have to drive around and um that's pretty cool hmm. good stuff i just i wondered if you had a history in uh in the restaurant business or or anything just when i saw you at w said it's kind of cool though you seem like a guy that's all in on whatever you're doing yeah that's a blessing and a curse but that's how i roll yeah <laughs> i love it We've got Clint Anderson on the line, retired from the city of Kamloops uh, in British Columbia, Canada. Blast these bugs. He's uh, tying up some custom patterns, uh, also works with the guys at BC Fly Guys. Um, tell me about Blast these bugs. So where do we find you if somebody wants to uh, pick up some, some patterns from you? Uh, on Instagram, that's my that's my at is uh, Blast these bugs. Um so uh, if people are looking at some of the patterns that I have, they can they can go to that site. And I just do lots of sales just by uh, direct message. Um, I've got some local customers that contact me by, by phone. 
And I always have a whole bunch of display boards with, I don't know, 60 or 70 dozen chronomids that people can look at if, if they want, don't, they don't want to look at it online. They want to see it in person. So mm. I've, I've got, got that stuff on the go, but now it's, it's uh, just gearing up for the uh, fall season with helping out with the order desk uh, with um, Brennan and Rob. Yeah. Over at uh, BC fly guys, check them yeah. out if you haven't. So check out Blasty's bugs on Instagram, check out BC fly guys.net. Um, those guys so so i got a journey so i know i know rob's uh he's the journey guy right um those guys are pretty dialed in when it comes to still water fishing all around yeah and just uh yeah really learned lots from them over the past two years um mm-hmm. with about how, mostly about how simple a lot of their patterns are yeah. rob has a rob has a a four by six chronomid box with 50 bugs in it. That's what he uses the whole year for chronomids. Yeah. Oh, I believe it. I, I, and then full patterns. Do you ever find that's the trick is kind of, um, selectively not dummying down the box, but definitely being more, uh, focused on certain patterns and colors because it's like, you know, it's a blank canvas and as, as tires, I feel sometimes like we just sit at the, you know, Oh, let's try this. Let's try that. But the tried and true and tested patterns, you always end up coming back to them. Yep. Zucchinis. Yeah. That pattern works. It just looks like a, uh, looks like a dark bug, but it, that black hollow tinsel, it's got some sparkle to it. So is it, is it a gassy bug or is it a dark bug? I'll tell you, you know, some, sometimes I wonder if people, if, if fish are taking that as, as a shrimp even. Yeah, if it's on a scud hook, who knows? Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one for sure. So, That's my goal for next year is, is simplifying things, taking way less in the boat, mm-hmm. uh, scaling back my fly boxes, mm-hmm. um, just trying to simplify things. Because I have been given the name Kitchen Sink by rob bruno so i need to simplify what i have in the boat <laughs> that's funny kitchen sick i like it just throw everything at them right see what sticks yeah. take everything in the boat it might rain even though it's 38 degrees out take your rain gear oh well that's just it and then you're tripping over <laughs> stuff your line there's more things for your line to grab right yep yeah are you uh, you're obviously a double anchor guy oh yeah yeah pyramid I got a mushroom on the back and a pyramid on the front. Ooh, explain. My my fly masters are really heavy. It's essentially an overbuilt Spratly, but it's uh, with my fly master boat. It's getting blown off. Um, it's kind of easy to do with my anchor system. So I I decided to get a mushroom for the back and a pyramid for the front, and hmm. and uh, heavy enough that most places you're not going to get blown off. What are, when you let the rope go, is it attached to anything or is it just free? Uh, the, like the excess stuff in. Yeah. That you have. That's what I struggle with. I just try and tuck it, tuck it under the cooler or it's at the front. I've got a little storage compartment that I can tuck things in there. So I'll, I'll tuck it in there. Hmm. Uh, and then the back behind, behind my boat seat, it's not it's not going to be in the way there. Right. Is there a dog in the boat? Is it just you? What's going on there? Oh, there used to be my, my chocolate labs getting older. His name's Hawkeye. And he used to be my, my buddy for all my trips, but, uh, hours in the boat with, with him, he's 10. It just gets too sore. It's just not fun for him. So, Hmm. So he has to stay behind most times. I'll take him sometimes if I if if I know it's a lake where we can go to shore lots. Mm-hmm. Um, why the, yeah, why the name Blasties Bugs? What's Blasties? What does that refer oh, to? Man. Well, a <laughs> lot of my young coworkers when I was my tail end of my career at Parks and Rec, um, my first name's Clint, and so I think I got the name Blast. The nickname Blast because somebody was texting and it auto-corrected from Clint 
to blast. And so they joked about it. Right. This little group of uh, people that I was getting to know. And it actually became my nickname. And then it really stuck hmm. for, for whatever reason. It just really stuck. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just kind of became um, my nickname. So I just decided to incorporate it into my fly tying business. Sure. Good old, and, good old autocorrect. Yeah. One thing I want to ask you that, that I always like to throw out there is paint us a picture of your perfect day. So if, whether that's a still water or it's a small Creek, you be the artist, you know, get away from the tying bench, but put us on your favorite piece of water. What does that look like? Who are you hanging out with? Um, what are you throwing? You, well, if it's, if it's, uh, if it's, uh, kind of a picture perfect day i'm i'm fishing with my buddy jeff um we have warped senses of humor um really interesting viewpoints on <laughs> humanity um kind of like the same some of the same music uh so oftentimes uh it would be on a lake uh around Kamloops. jeff and i were were at a uh, a lake on Saturday that was uh, we had to ourselves until about two o'clock, and uh, so you've got nice gin clear water. Um, love fishing in lakes where you can see fifteen or twenty feet down. Um, this lake is no exception. Beautiful shoals and structure, uh, and you can see moving fish, fish coming from deep water onto the drop offs and, and cruising around. Um, and then putting the puzzle together, what are they, what are they feeding on? Hmm. You know, they're not feeding on the easy stuff because coronamid fishing can be pretty easy. So you've got fish that are in five or six feet of water, uh, water temperatures, 51 degrees. So it means that's meat and potatoes type stuff. So you're putting something maybe on a strike indicator on one rod and, and another one, either a hover line or a floating line with something that can sink and uh, hmm. and then just just watching those fish and how they uh, interact with your presentation and and uh, if you're successful then you know you've kind of figured it out and so a good day you figure it out fast and early and then hopefully you get some kind of curveball thrown at you by the fish so you have to figure out another little piece of the puzzle for the afternoon um just being kind of successful with putting those uh pieces together and and then just having some laughs on the water mm -hmm. uh sharing info cracking a few jokes um yeah that's all that's it. anything that's cool, what i like anything cool to drink at the end of the day or uh, is it wine, uh, wine beer, beer. It's, it's an ipa of some kind i like craft beers um, doesn't have to be IPAs, a good European Pilsner or a lager that's not too malty, uh, is, is good glass of wine, um, special scotch every once in a while, but I, I don't really drink the heavy stuff too much. Um, yeah, just beer, wine. Are you camping a lot on these trips? Like you got a trailer or anything that you're hanging out in, or are you doing mostly day trips? What, what does that look like? Lots of day trips. Uh, I do go camping. My wife still works. So um, take the trailer out for a week somewhere is fine. But um, I like fishing different water, being stuck at a lake for a week, uh, unless the fishing is absolutely epic. Kind of gets boring for me. So it's nice to be able to have uh, a location home base, like a, the Roche Lake area when it's not winter killed, <laughs> where you can hit a different lake. Um, that's fun, um, hitting different water every day. But um, yeah, there's some pretty cool uh, places to go with, with the trailer. But um, there's also really good places to go where you, you need to be in a tent and away from people. Mm -hmm. Are you and I don't do, I don't do enough of that kind of camping anymore, but uh, it is fun. Are you pulling the boat on a trailer? Is it uh, on the top of your uh, your truck? How, what does that look like? Well, I got a Tacoma 
from the Tacoma with the boat loader. Giddy up. I got to have a boat loader for that heavy boat of mine. Yeah. And, uh, and then, yeah, towing the trailer behind. What year taco you got? Uh, 2015. Nice. I had a 15. Yeah. I got, I've had three now. I, I just, uh, I don't know if I'm going to part with the latest one though, man. I'm loving it. Yeah. I love my Tacoma. Um, it's, it's a little challenge with the trailer that I have. It's a 20 foot Winnebago. So it's oh. working hard to throw that thing around. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, this is my second Tacoma and my first Tacoma. We spent many, many, many hours on back roads getting muddy going into water that nobody was at hmm. well that's, that's what i like about them is they've got a, a smaller footprint a lot of the places we go you don't want a dually you know what i mean it's like you, you need to uh some of the trails get pretty tight right yeah or you're stuck in in full-size pickup truck ruts and that's not fun yeah so usually Usually with smaller trucks, you can, you can get in between the ruts and, and, uh, and that's always fun. Hmm. Man, I've, I've totally loved chatting with you. There's, uh, I think we should do this again. Cause I know you're sitting on a, on a lot of stories and, uh, it's been, it's been pretty cool hearing about your, your time with the city of Kamloops and some of the cool things you did fly fishing wise, whether well, there's the 90, 93 world fly fishing championships. And, um, I've really enjoyed it, man. Thanks for, uh, for sharing some time with us today yeah i've really enjoyed it too mark thanks so much let's uh let's hopefully get out on the water soon and and let's um if you happen to uh be looking for some fly patterns check out blasties bugs on instagram uh clint anderson retired from city of kamloops in british columbia canada he's doing some custom flies also working with the boys over at uh, bcflyguys.net thanks for joining us folks uh, we'll catch you next time Thanks for listening to the Fly Fishing 97 podcast, powered by theflycrate.com, your source for all things fly fishing. Wait for it films featuring fly fishing videos and camera related content, custom music from Damian Anderson, and by brokentippet.com. <laughs>